0: This is the Download Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Thursday, May 18th, 2017. Episode 4 20 Oars in the Water. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, and this week I am joined here by a couple wonderful guests. Russell Ivanovich, developer at Shifty Jelly, but most importantly, I think co host of Material on Relay FM.
1: Russell. Welcome to Download. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be here. And I mean that.
0: You are reporting live from Google I.O. in Mountain View, are you not? Yeah, I've been sitting in the hot, hot
1: sun just to get you the uh, the hot takes.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And everybody should listen to Material this week where you and Andy and I co-broke down post keynote what was going on. Also here, Devendra Hardwar from Engadget, senior editor there. And I should also mention co-host of the Slash Filmcast because podcasting is a thing that we all love too. Devendra, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, great to hear your voice. Let's, uh, let's get to the topics because there's a lot to talk about. The three best stories of the week, always on download, chosen by me and download podcast producer, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Jason Snell. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm doing okay this week. We had a real hard time picking the best stories of the week, uh, not because it was Google I/O and pretty much Google I/O may take up the bulk of this episode because there's a whole lot going on. This is the this is the week where Google sort of uh, lays bare where it's going, and and that's topic number one. Um, I kind of want to get opening statements from everybody about what they thought <laughs> about about Google's announcements this week, but just to set the stage a little bit machine learning and AI, that seems to be sort of the big topic of the week. It was the wraparound theme of the uh, of the keynote. And it seems to be informing a whole lot of what Google's doing in a bunch of different areas. It's interesting to see Google sort of say, this is how we do that that job of organizing the world's information, which goes back to sort of like, it's the credo of Google from the very beginning. Um, and definitely that came through loud and clear. Russell, what are your, you know, kind of opening thoughts, Big big picture thoughts about what you've seen and what really has interested you at, uh, at IO this week?
1: Uh, I think there's been a lot of interesting stuff. Like you say, machine learning, AI, machine learning, AI. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard those two words, both in sessions and in the keynote <laughs> and just talking to... To various, you know, Googlers that are walking around that uh, they want to chat, but the other big impression I get is there's a lot of stuff going on. Like this company does so many things at the same time that it's, you know, you go to like an Apple keynote and it's very structured. You know, there's a coherent vision for like the entire product set. I get the impression with Google that there's just, you know, twenty different teams working on twenty different things, and they pick ten things and like here's the things we're going to talk about at the keynote. So it's a huge sort of broad range of things.
0: Hmm. Devendra, what's your uh, what's your big overview sort of thoughts about this week at I/O?
2: I think we're beginning to see um, more evidence of Google moving into this territory, too. Like, they've been talking about AI and machine learning for a while. And uh, honestly, it's something uh, I just got out of Microsoft's Build conference, and it was kind of the same language, right? This, this is clearly the future for all these companies um I, I think what's interesting this year is we're finally seeing how it's happening so I think lens uh, which we'll talk about soon is perhaps one of the most interesting things and in all those changes to Google photos and uh yeah just Google building a much uh, sort of like a pervasive operating system that's powered by
3: all of its services I think that's all pretty interesting
0: yeah Stephen do you have a do you want to chime in here
3: yeah I mean I agree it's if- in a way, it felt a little bit like IO 2016 Part 2, but I mean that in a really good way. They sort of have been laying the foundation of this stuff and you know, got a product like the Google Home out the door last year, and this year they're building on top of that, taking it to the next level. And not necessarily a lot of new directions, although there was definitely some new stuff, but sort of a, a reinforcement that this is where Google is headed. And I think that message was really strong and clear this week.
0: And jumping off of what Russell said about um, about Google, unlike Apple, sort of feeling like they've got a whole bunch of different projects in a whole bunch of different areas. I think that's true, but I think what I liked about the discussion about AI and machine learning is it feels like that there may be, you know, 10 or 20 different projects, um, Oars in the water. I'm gonna do a weird boat metaphor here. But <laughs> um but they all seem to be rowing kinda of in the same direction, right? Like the overarching idea here is Google has this credo and then Google is is really excited about machine learning and AI as a way to get that stuff put together. And that seems to be backing a lot of the projects that are going on, even if there are a whole bunch of projects floating around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's so let's let's talk about some of these projects. So Google Photos is is one I wanted to start with. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Google Photos has been a really interesting product for a while, but they are doing some interesting uh, things this time. And I, I guess it's not coming out for a month or two, but uh, coming down the road, the changes that use this machine learning to do some interesting things, especially about sharing stuff with other people. And there are also photo books, which we I guess we could talk about. It's paper. There's, there's a guy who used to work for magazines. Yay. Putting things on paper, I guess. That's good. But what do you guys think, um, Russell, what's your What's your take on the Google Photos announcements, all this, all this extra sharing and machine learning stuff?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, the first thing I have to say is when Google Photos first launched and they did a demo, I'm like, this is too good to be true. I'm going to install this and it's going to turn <laughs> out to not do half the things they say it does. But, Lo and behold, you install it and then you type things like, I want to see a cat in a shoe. And it shows you literally pictures of cats sitting in shoes, like from your own (laughs) photo library. I'm like, oh, you know, these these people know what they're doing. You know, they're good. And this year, you know, all the things they announced, for example, one of the things like you said is, okay, you want to share photos with maybe Jason, but you don't want to share photos of everything. Maybe just the photos I've taken of Steven and Jason, you know, together and Google is so good at recognizing, you know, facial features and things like that now that it knows, you know, it maybe doesn't know Jason's name, but it knows this particular set of data is a Jason, this particular set of data is a Steven. And whenever I see these two people together, I'm going to, you know, put that in someone else's photo library and that. That to me is some really next level stuff you know you talk about sharing libraries and it's fine to want to share your whole library with someone else if that's your thing but to be able to share it down to the individual people i think that's some really impressive things and the fact that we've seen the photos team succeed you know so much in the past just it gives me some confidence that they're not just you know pushing out a feature that might half work i I think this will actually work
2: yeah, I think so. Uh, Google Photos honestly has been one of their more interesting things for a while. Um, you know, they've been adding all sorts of features over the years. And I'm the sort of person I have a huge photo library. I am terrible at organizing it, so I've just been sitting and waiting for like AI to get smart enough to fix this problem for me. I feel like we're finally getting there. Um, it, there's definitely a need for like a pervasive photo sourcing, like photo sorting, photo library management type tool. And all these new features seem pretty useful. And honestly, I, I love the easier integration with photo books and stuff too. The sharing is interesting because, um, I feel like after Google, uh, Google Plus, it did feel, it, it seemed like. I don't know. They did not understand how to deal with social stuff and sharing in general. And this is sort of like a, hey, this is kind of simple and nice. And, you know, you don't have to connect to somebody's Facebook account to get it all working. Uh, It's kind of smooth. I like the idea of, like, uh, there's so much data. Um, and I think
0: Russell, you, you, you and Andy mentioned this on material. There's so much data that you start to feel like a bad person because you just can't, you can't tag every photo. You can't remember to share everything. And, right. and so, and photos is one of those places where we, you know, we used to have 400 photos when digital cameras were new and now we have tens of thousands of photos yeah. that we take on our phones. And we're taking
2: burst photos too. So oh it's my like, God.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: So burst is killing me. Uh, cause I love that. Right. But yeah. then you've got 30 photos. <laughs> uh-huh
1: yeah one of the figures they threw out there was one point two billion photos uploaded every single day to the service i mean that that is a lot of photos yeah that's almost i
0: mean you the, don't even talk about that how many youtube videos they said get how many hours uh it's terrifying <laughs> but uh like you could play them until the sun explodes and you wouldn't uh play them all but uh I like that you know we're saving you that the, the the machine learning can do that as somebody who so I wrote a book about apple's photo stuff and uh-huh. and and in doing that I talked to uh, I think a product marketing manager for the photos team about this inability to share because Apple's got like a sharing feature where you can pick some photos and share them with friends or family but um, but nothing at this at this library level which Google's letting you do and they brought up something that a bunch of people have brought up to me this week which is the idea that um, you don't always want to share everything like you, you don't even, even husbands and wives don't necessarily want to say I'm going to take I'm going to show you every photo that I take and that doesn't right. necessarily have nefarious purposes it could also just be like I don't want to see in my case it would be my wife saying i don't want to see all these screenshots you're taking for your iphone reviews right <laughs> it's like don't get it out of get out of here and 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 it seemed to me like apple was saying that uh, sharing libraries is complicated and it's got lots of issues and that's why they hadn't done it yet and it's been a couple of years now and they still haven't put the even though they've got family accounts they haven't put it in there and I, so what i thought was interesting in google's announcement is it wasn't just yes you can share a library you can right a husband and a wife can share their libraries together and now all your pictures are in one place that's great, but I loved this extra level where it's like acknowledging that there are lots of scenarios where you really don't want everybody to see every photo you take, but can you figure it out like in a way that's logical to say these kinds of photos I want to go to these people and that 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 suddenly unlocks a lot more That the, that is the machine learning again that's behind it all I really like
1: that about it yeah I mean definitely I mean the other thing that's encouraging is Google for a long time now has been doing this um, automatic I guess album type thing so you might go on a vacation somewhere you take I don't know 500 photos it picks say the 40 best ones you know geolocates them and puts them into like a timeline and from my experience it actually tends to pick really good photos like i'm not i'm not the greatest photographer in the world i take a lot of bad photos and i sometimes just leave them in my my library i don't even bother deleting them anymore Mm. and the the machine learning that they're using actually does seem really good at you know picking out you know distinctive shots
2: definitely better than uh, apple's kind of auto photo album thing that they was it i was 10 that they added it yeah um yeah yeah it's it's really random. It it does a good job of finding pretty photos, but not contextually relevant ones. Uh, at Build, actually, I talked to the guy at Microsoft who uh, who's in charge of Story Remix, which is their whole new like video editing and photo editing thing, and creates like nice little short movies, which is also cool on another level. Uh, but even like they were making fun of like how contextually dumb Apple's stuff is, and <laughs> Google and Microsoft at least seem to have you know decent computer imaging technology at this point. Yeah, I
0: think one of the challenges, something to look for at apple's wwdc in a few weeks is uh, that was their first crack at it, essentially right mm-hmm. and, and and because it's built into the os, it basically hasn't changed since they shipped iOS 10. So are they going to show forward movement and how much? Because obviously the bar is pretty high, especially with the google stuff it's 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 pretty high and i i have a I have an album in my photos library called "Photos Thinks these are cats, <laughs> and some of them are cats, you know, and some are not. Some of them may be in shoes
1: too, Russell, I don't know.
2: I often get receipts when I try to do those auto albums, so that's fun. Or just like random (laughs) stuff from my vacations, it's great.
1: You're like, oh, look how much you paid for this food. Wasn't this food great? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's
2: right, Yeah, that's right. Here's a slideshow of your trip to San Diego. Remember when you took a screenshot
1: accidentally? (laughs) Oh, good times. It's your home screen. Here's your home screen again.
0: I I think one of the things, I mean, we should mention that if you've got an iPhone, you can actually use Google Photos. One of the things that that in the heyday of Microsoft, it's not true anymore, in the heyday of Microsoft, Microsoft liked to pretend that there were other platforms basically and google doesn't do that google is adding the assistant to ios um, they google photos runs on ios and the only challenges there are that apple has parts of its system that it locks away for itself that it is not yet letting google yeah. photos so you have to launch google photos in order to have it run mm. and upload your photos but otherwise even iphone users can use google photos and take advantage of the storage that they offer and take advantage of these kind of amazing search search features and auto albums
2: i, I think there there is background photo uploading at this point. Uh, a, I actually just I, noticed that. I think it's that. to a point. I at, that working. Yeah. At,
0: what happens is after a while, iOS will kill the background process if it needs to do right, something right. else. So it's not reliable. It will do, do it for a while and then it stops, which is, I would love them to fix that because I think Google Photos mm. could be a really great asset for iOS. Apple may not think so, but uh, it's a pretty great <laughs> service. So um, what about Google Lens? What do you guys think about that? I was reminded of, um, like, five years ago I took a trip and I used the, the Word Lens app App, which was you know super primitive but like i was in montreal and i could yeah. hold it up at a french street sign and it would turn it into english and google lens seems to be like uh everything just take a picture or not even that put your camera towards something and it, google will figure it out it's now like a search engine for objects in the world it's pretty amazing
2: yeah you don't even have to ask questions anymore it's just like uh, camera what what is in front of me right now google explain the world to me uh yeah it's kind of exciting. We saw what a couple minutes of this thing, so it's really weird. I try not to get too excited when uh, tech companies do this cuz this was clearly a scripted demo. Yeah. Uh nothing was live. So it was all like, "Hey, look at this great video we shot of how this thing should work." Um but uh taking on faith, uh hopefully it'll work as they're showing. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's definitely like For me, it makes a lot of sense for Google to do this because this is kind of what they've always been trying to do, just like organizing all our information, kind of making sense of it for us. Yeah, Russell, what did you think of Lens? I I thought it was interesting. It almost
1: seems like it's a blanket sort of marketing term for a whole bunch of like different features like you say you can you can point it at a sign it'll translate the sign they they showed off you know you're looking at like a maybe an office building and you point at the office building and tells you hey this is what the building is is the opening hours do you know do you want to give them a call here's the phone number i mean in theory they have all that information like google maps is is pretty good at that stuff it's been getting a lot better like over the years i i you know we've seen this AR stuff for a long time now. I don't know if you remember back since iOS 2, iOS 3 like the second you know phones had cameras that that you could use like that and they could hook into you know the accelerometer and the GPS and various other things. This is the the thing that people kept promising. They're like, look, we can do this, we can do this. And so far I don't think I've seen one case where you know it works really well. I mean, this this might be it, but I'm I'm slightly skeptical.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, of a Yelp monocle was that that was like 2010 yeah. <laughs> era. We were like, oh my god, look at this! This is kind of amazing. And then nobody used it because it was just oh, I I could see the rating when I hold up my phone. That's kind of cool. Uh, this looks like a smarter, more useful version of that. Uh, Google. It also reminds me of Google Goggles as well, right? This is more of an evolved yeah, yeah. form of that. Yeah, I was thinking, I was reminded of um of Google Glass in the sense that
0: I feel like not having glass on the table actually makes this more interesting than if we're but this is like AR Mm -hmm. technology right I mean you could see how down the road you're not going to have to necessarily hold your phone up in order to get this this the whole idea is that a camera that you wear somewhere on your body is going to be able to give you context clues about what's going on it's just right now the camera we all have with us is is in our in our pocket usually so you gotta I guess Mm -hmm. take it out so that can see where you where you're going but um yeah I think you make a great great point that it's it's a it's a great demo and then there's the world and like maybe in mountain view or in the bay area it might work really well but what happens in the rest of the world how much data are they processing here and you know is it going to make the right decisions when you show it that theater marquee um about what kind of data it's looking at it what needs to offer but the the promise is pretty amazing just in the sense of not having to Tell your phone, like, do you, you know, all those other steps, you see the theater marquee and you're like, oh, you know, I need to do a bunch of searches and then find the website and then click through. And if it can realize what I want to do and read my mind essentially and do it for me, that's pretty exciting if it works.
2: Yeah. It does feel like we're kind of going back to, I don't know, I have this, like, dystopian vision where we just, like, forget how to, like, talk and speak to each other, and we just, like, point our devices, and yeah. we're, like, caveman grunting, like, what is <laughs> oh, this? this oh. Hold your
0: camera up to your friend, and you find out what their mood is and what they're probably thinking, and then you leave. That's what it w- exactly. <laughs> needs, to, who exactly. needs to talk. And well, what it needs to know. No, <laughs> yeah. no, the computer solves it for us.
1: The interesting thing about all this, I think you alluded to this, Jason, is that you talk to some people inside Google and their vision of the future is definitely basically cameras everywhere like the ai is able to see everything in the environment around you and then try and provide contextual information about everything so not necessarily like oh this is a nice flower it's more like you know hey you had you have a meeting with jason like you last met him six months ago these are the things you discussed like I, i think a lot of people inside google see that as the future like once once cameras are small enough once there's some way to interface you know with your brain that's not necessarily a phone that that seems to be the kind of future they're heading for
0: yeah, I'm thinking mm-hmm. of like if you've got a if you've got a, a little earpiece, let's say, and yeah. and and also a camera somewhere, and you look up at that theater marquee, like from the demo, and you say, "Oh, um, remind me about that," and then you walk on with your day instead of you needing to remember and probably forgetting that that band is playing. It gets added to a list somewhere that you get reminded about later, and you can look it up. It, it could be that
1: simple, right? But um, if you get the context right. <laughs> it could be i mean the other thing is we end up in the the movie her i don't know if either of you have exactly. that, oh yeah yeah, it's, yeah. yeah the, the social implications are interesting as well like it's already slightly awkward to talk to your phone like yeah i don't know even holding your phone up in front of your face while you're walking around is also awkward like uh, as a society i'm not not sure how fast we can get there
0: it's a like a black mirror episode but the idea that um that you could potentially even not say anything at the time and then like a few hours later say oh didn't i see something on a theater marquee and have it be like oh yeah this is what you saw i remember <laughs> <laughs> like the assistant remembers everything i remember
2: everything oh my god that is terrible well
0: it's a, if it's a black mirror episode then it would be terrifying because that's
1: what yes. that show is all about yeah I'll, I'll never forget the first time i went into google maps they have this history feature and it literally shows you every single place you've been for the last ever since they turn it on so it's years now and it is it is freakily accurate it knows which shops you entered it knows exactly what time you went here it's you, you look at it and for a moment you're like oh do i even want google to have this information this is yeah it's very disconcerting
2: I am kind of worried about the future where, like, a lot of this overlay stuff um, does appear more seamlessly within our vision, either through our glasses or even, like, those contacts we know they're exploring. Like, eventually, like, we'll have some of this AR layer over our vision and the world is going to get so noisy and I'm not looking forward to that or it already feels a little too noisy with everything we have going on.
0: Yeah. Heads up displays hmm. are a cool idea, but I do worry that I, you know, I'm not in f- flying a fighter jet <laughs> and yet exactly. it's going to feel like walking down the street. <laughs> it's like I'm flying a fighter jet. It's maybe, maybe too much. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe this is what old people sound like. and 13 year olds will be like that's great you're
2: introducing why
0: would you not want to have contact lenses with a heads-up display that tells you everything about everything as you walk around old people and be like all right you got me get off my lawn kid
2: yeah (laughs) i'm fine with it i've i've like definitely especially with like uh i'm a video gamer too and like the whole trend of like people streaming their games and then other people watching them and i am just like not into that so i am totally fine being a grandpa
0: yeah, that's fine. Fortunately, their uh, their heads up display will know that they are not supposed to be on my lawn, and they'll just stay off of it. So that'll be good for exactly. me. Exactly, they'll see the virtual border. Jason's
1: <laughs> lawn yeah. out of bounds. Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: Exactly right. There'll be like a virtual uh, "do not enter" tape across my lawn, So it'll be fine. Well, I want to talk about Google Home and Google Assistant. But before we do that, let me take a moment to tell you about our sponsor of this episode of Download. Uh, Download being brought to you this week by Hover. When you have a great idea for your own project or blog or store or startup, you need to give it a great domain name. I certainly did a whole lot of this when I was shopping to start my own blog uh, at sixcolors.com. And Hover was the tool that I used to do it and to register all of my and manage all of my domains. It's super easy to pick a great domain name with Hover. Set it up with the most popular website builders. So you don't have to like deal with complicated transfers. You can get it working with whatever website building tool you're using. You can use Hover Connect. You set up your domain automatically in just a few clicks. You don't have to dig through the help articles to figure out how to get your domain working. If you need a hand, Hover's awesome support team is there to help you. So give them a call and an actual person, a human being will pick up the phone and answer whatever questions you've got. There are no annoying phone trees no being transferred to another department for you to deal with hover is got his is great technical support if you have to deal with them they will help you it's super easy so find the perfect domain name for your idea by going to hover.com slash download fm and you'll get 10 percent off your first purchase once again that's hover.com slash download fm to find out more and get 10 percent off your first purchase hover domain names for your ideas thank you to hover for supporting download and all of relay fm all right so so Google Assistant got a big upgrade. You can type to it. It's on the iPhone. There's an SDK. Uh, Russell, what do you think the big what what's the big story with uh, Google Assistant this week?
1: Uh, I don't know if there's a big story. I think there's a lot of little stories. So oh, the, fair, fair the, point. The, good, the t- good. The two <laughs> things that excite me the most are well, three things I should say. So calendars and reminders. The Google Assistant is finally able to do. I was super perplexed when that launched. And you're like, hey, can you make an appointment for 3 p.m. with so and so at this place? And it's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that yet. I'm like, what? <laughs> are you serious right now? And then they are like, yeah. okay, remind me to do this at 3 p.m. And it's like, I can't do that either. I'm like, what? what? How does this make any sense? So they've launched those two things. Excellent. I think the the hidden thing that's going to be really interesting. Is I was sitting in the um, the assistant session they had, you know, today at uh, Google O, and they have this whole concept of being able to do transactions on it. So, if you're a third party developer, maybe you. I don't know. You sell some item of clothing, or you sell some service that your customers need. Um, they're providing those developers with, you know, with your permission access to uh, your identity information, access to a way to pay for it as well. So you could talk to your Google Home and say, "Hey, I want to buy so and so from you know Fred Jones," and the Fred Jones assistant would pop up and be like, "Hey, which one of these do you want to buy?" And the the way they demo it, and I'm I'm pretty confident if they get this right, it'll work like this: is within 20 seconds, you could have purchased something from you know whatever suppliers you normally shop with, and I think that's. <laughs> That's really interesting because you give that to developers, especially, you know, developers that are behind big companies that, that want to sell you things. And maybe maybe that could go somewhere. Like we've seen with the Echo, you know, Amazon lets you order, obviously, from Amazon. This could potentially let you order from a whole bunch of, of retailers.
0: Yeah, I like the idea of being transferred to the other assistant, too. I thought that was a really cool demo, the idea that, you know, you're not – it's handing you off. It's like you're being transferred and it feels different and there's a different voice. And I thought that was a really nice – a nice approach it's of course dangerous when it is that easy to pay for anything but that's that's what they do um typing 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 to the assistant i think is good i mean russell you mentioned earlier the the uh, i think you both might have mentioned earlier the, the the problem with talking to assistants out in public it's like what is this doing to us so we're all comfortable texting right so this is just just don't say a word i think that's a good i think that's a good move
1: yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, definitely. Maybe we saw that in allo first, right, last year. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, yeah, finally. I feel like I, I'm much more comfortable. Like uh, the Allo demo last year was like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm talking to my
0: wife, and then Google Assistant appears and now there are three people in this conversation. It seems really <laughs> weird. Hey, do you need help
2: with your wife? Yeah. It's like,
0: uh, <laughs> go away, assistant. But but in the assistant, right, in just typing in there, it's like, yeah, okay, I mm-hmm. get that. And that makes me feel that actually makes me feel more comfortable maybe than talking out loud. Um, And that, I think, I think that's a good thing. I, I like, I like what Google's doing with the Assistant and bringing it to other platforms and, and the fact that there's Google Home with the Assistant built into it too. Um, more language support, I think, is also really good. One of the things that people don't talk about a lot about the Amazon Echo is that it's very limited in terms of where it's, where it is functional, I think. Oh, yeah. Is it, is it only the US and, and the UK now, Russell? Is, does the Echo work in Australia?
1: no there's no echo in australia it i think it's pretty much us and uk only
0: yeah uh-huh. yeah and the uk was country in canada too. too i think i don't think yeah. so i don't think it's in canada nope. oh man. I, my canadian friends are very upset about every time we talk <laughs> about how great amazon is they're like no it is not but so you know it's a good it's a good thing for google to have the assistant expanding out to all those other other countries and other languages too that's pretty cool
1: what about Google? Yeah, and Australia was on the list. That was yeah, very exciting that's right. for me personally.
0: There's, uh, the streamers are being dropped right now in Australia. Google <laughs> Home is coming without without like, the hinky stuff that you can do to make it run, thinking that it's not yes. in Australia. But
1: yes, and without it telling you off. It actually recognizes that you're in Australia, by the way, when it boots up and it's like, hey, I'm not certified for your Wi-Fi networks here. I'm not responsible for what happens after you press this button. I'm like, okay. Oh, huh, cool. <laughs> So what about Google Home? Um new features, there's
0: some notifications, there's phone calls that don't work outside of North America. Uh what, what what do you think Devendra? What do you think of the Google uh the Google Home updates?
2: The notifications thing is pretty cool. Um it is weird though that you'll have to I guess keep an eye on like that general loca- area and see if like your home is uh blinking or circling or something. And honestly, um just the basic features that were in Alexa for the past year, like r- reminders, calendar entries, like the simple things. As much as I want to love uh, Google Home, like it is a it is a great little speaker and it's a much better overall value than the bigger Amazon Echo, I think. Um, but it, the fact that it just couldn't do those basic things made me still, you know, refer the Echo more to, to my friends. I just bought an Echo for my family, actually. So I'm glad to see that Home is just getting... Uh, it's getting updated. That's not like kinda of nice.
0: Yeah, and it can detect multiple voices. That's a big thing, right? That's one of the one of the challenges has always been how do you uh tie it into more than one account. You at that point you need to have voice detection, which by all accounts is very hard to do, but at Google says that they've done it, which I think is uh I think that's pretty cool because that they're usually, you know, it, it takes them out of the one person in a house market to houses shared by multiple people, which is a lot of people. <laughs>
2: right yeah
1: yeah exactly i I think the the other interesting thing about it is that the you've got the the phone call stuff that's on there i don't I don't know that I'd ever use that even if it did come to Australia i don't maybe I'm getting old maybe you know maybe I'm in this category of get off my lawn but I can't see calling people from my Google home like it just yeah, it doesn't feel natural.
0: I tried it with yeah. the echo when they rolled that feature out the other week and uh there was a flurry. I called Steven at one point or he called me and there's a flurry of these little <laughs> test calls and it's just dumb. I, I don't I don't get it. I don't I mean, I I I guess it'll have some use, but um, I could sort of see like if your hands are 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 full of things and you need to call somebody, having a place calls would be nice, but yeah, it seems weird. I it's funny though. I was imagining um I wrote a piece about imagining what an Apple version of this would be, which we might see or we might not. And one of the things I kept thinking was, well, you know what all of these things should probably do is they should probably have the ability to put something up on your TV
2: in context,
0: mm. if you've got a a thing attached to your TV. And Google demoed that. The idea that it will be able to say the Google Home can throw something up on your TV via Chromecast. And I think that's really smart because contextually, like it doesn't have a screen, but you've got a screen in your house probably somewhere that it could that it could put that information on. And I don't know how that'll work in practice. I don't know if that means that you have to leave your TV on and tune to, to Chromecast all the time. Um, I was kind yeah. of imagining that at some point you're gonna have to work with home automation stuff to like turn your TV. TV on and say, I'm going to show this to you. But I really like the idea that it lets uh, it lets Google Home spread its wings a little bit by showing that on your TV.
2: Amazon does a few similar things, too, with the, with the Fire TV right. and the Fire TV stick. So you will see like these little notification cards if you ask it questions and stuff. So we're definitely seeing these companies move on from just pure voice commands and voice responses to kind of how they can uh, interplay with the screens and give you some sort of visual response, too. Yeah, that's what we're used to, right? So it kind of makes sense.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if you know, but fairly, I think if you have a modern TV, sort of made in the last two or three years, and if the you know HDMI gods are smiling on you, um, we have one in the office that when you cast something to it, actually turns on the TV and switches to the right input thing. C-D-C-E-C C-E-C, or C-E-C. I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where it'll be like, It's an acronym turn on. with a lot of Cs in it. Turn yeah. to my input. But, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard mixed reports about it, but if, if you have that working, then potentially that could work. You know, you say something to your home, it turns on your TV, it switches to the Chromecast.
0: I've seen it work. I don't know if that means it actually works, but I have seen it like I am a witness. I've seen it. I've seen it work. The, the other thing that I feel like the assistants are all started getting now is notifications and Google Home gets that. Uh, it, it, the Echo seems to be headed in that direction now, too. Um, and I think that's really exciting because one of the one of the frustrations that I've had with these devices is they're, they feel very one way, that you can tell them to do something and, uh, and look something up on the Internet even, and it'll do it. But if something on the Internet wants to tell you something, forget it. It. So by adding notifications into Google Home, um, I, I know there are lots of issues with that, and the last thing you want to do is to have your little cylinder in your house be spamming you. But yep. <laughs> there are lots of uses for it too, of saying, "Oh, you have an appointment, right?" We are, we we let our phones do that, but why would we not let these devices in on the on the fun?
2: I don't know if it's fun to be notified of things, but I think it's useful. <laughs> <laughs> it it is weird seeing people get so excited about Google Home lighting up with notifications. Like guys, that that is what you're trying to avoid. We're trying to <laughs> run away from email notifications and all the you know all the text messages and everything we don't want to respond to. Um, but but I, I think the idea that assistant, uh, the Google Assistant can have those notifications spread across these devices and your phone and you know other things too. Uh, that's where it gets really interesting. You know, so then it's not like if you miss the light on your Google Home, you'll miss out on this really important update right. or something.
1: Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, a bit, the bit that confused me about the demo they gave was, um, I think this person had to be somewhere and there was traffic. So it's like, hey, mm-hmm. you have to leave 14 minutes earlier than normal. I find that weird because how does your home even know that you're home? Like, unless they've <laughs> integrated with with other parts of the thing. Like, if you've already left and the little thing's sitting there spinning that, that feels a bit it sad.
2: It hears you. It knows your house. Well, they know your basic location, right? So that that part seems easy, I guess, because they know exactly where you are.
1: at all times
2: (laughs) at all times and they
3: eventually they'll see you and and all of that i think one thing that's a a little weird for the notifications is that a lot of us have these devices in a sort of family area so like in the kitchen or the living room and you know google has this multiple account support but even then i'm not sure that i want like notifications coming to me to be you know broadcast to anyone in my household not that i've got a have to hide, but that seems like a sort of a personal thing being broadcast, you know, to your roommates or to your family or something. And, uh, I'm just not sure it's something that, that I want in my household. I keep thinking more
0: about boomeranging things where I say, um, I say, tell me when the giant, Hey, Hey, friend <laughs> lady, uh, tell me when the Giants game starts, remind me when the Giants game starts and have it say, okay. And then like four hours later, it says, Hey, uh, the, the Giants game is starting that you were asking about things like that. Or, or, can you tell me when the game is over or can you tell me what the score is and, and have it like do something later for you which right now the assistants haven't been able to do but I agree like the last thing you want is to get spammed with the same you know looking at your notification screen except now it's a blinking light or a or a voice that just erupts every 20 minutes to tell you that you got another tw- you know somebody else mentioned you on Twitter or something like that right nobody wants that so it's sort of how they lock it down but I do like the idea of being able to send out with my voice send out a little A agent to say, you know, just say something when this thing happens. That could be that could be cool if it's done right.
2: Right. Yeah. No, most definitely. And uh, I was going to say something. I don't know. Oh, I actually, do you think it is funny how excited people are getting about I don't know. Easier access to your notifications and things like that, and more notifications in our lives. Like I'm the sort of person I can't even have uh, the email notification going off because you always have new email. Yeah. You know, it's what's what is the point of that? You know what would be good for your notifications? Say it with me. Machine learning.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah you just fade it all into an algorithm problem solved cuz at some point what you want really is to be like only notify me when something important happens and seriously yeah and, and, and cuz right now it's just un, mostly ungated and you can turn it off and sometimes you can set settings on all of these devices about it but i do think that's probably a, a frontier for this stuff is like let the let the machine decide what, what is really interesting or not and maybe watch you as you as you interact with your notifications cuz yeah i mean i've turned most of mine off just because when they're are on. They're they're just they flood me and they're useless. So yeah,
2: they're always on. I, I think a good example of this was uh, the priority inbox thing on Gmail, right? Uh, which I know Google is kind of deprecating uh, and moving towards this other the other like weird social feed thing. But I still use priority inbox and I've trained it so well that it it does a really great job. Like that has definitely saved email for me. And yeah, we kind of need that for more things.
1: Yeah, I think the really interesting about this uh, thing about this is they called it the Google Assistant. And if you think about it, I'm not rich enough to have an assistant myself, but the whole point of having one is they know everything about you, mm-hmm. you know, that they'll coordinate your schedule. They'll, they'll see something happen and be like, Oh, I should book that in or whatever. So. It it seems like that's where they're trying to head. You know, this thing is always looking out for you. It's meant to be there. It's meant to, uh, I guess, be literally an assistant. And I don't think we're anywhere near that yet. Like, it feels like you constantly have to dive in there and and tell it, you know, remind me of this, set this calendar Mm -hmm. appointment, do this. So I I can see why they're heading in that direction. I just I just can't see how they're going to bridge that gap between, you know, at this time, Jason wants to know about this particular Twitter notification, but five minutes from now, he's not going to care about, you know, Twitter notifications at all.
2: Yeah, I, I think Google's answer for that is more neural networks. And the scary, I think one of the scarier <laughs> things they said is they're using neural networks to, to train, train neural, neural networks. networks. It's neural yeah. networks all the way down mm. uh, until you reach Skynet or something. Well, uh, so not that, that's but scary. They've,
1: they've got their own, they've started making silicon. So they've got these things called tensor processing units, you know, TPUs. <laughs> and I find that really interesting that they're making custom hardware just to do like this machine learning stuff. Like yep. we saw, you know, with CPUs, that you, know, you can do basic computer tasks, but at some point we decided, oh, we really want to do graphics stuff. And it turns out CPUs are terrible at graphics. So, you know, along came the, the GPU, and I'll never forget the moment I, I stuck a GPU into like my computer. I think it was a, mm-hmm. a Voodoo 2 from like 3DFX for anyone that remembers those. And it's suddenly textures and grass and shadows and lights. And you're like, whoa, this is a new world. And I think Google's kind of thinking that way as well. Like now we have these TPU things, which by the way, we sell if you want to buy some and you can rent them in the cloud. Like that's really interesting that they've actually made their own hardware.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I was waiting for them to make a Skynet joke when they had that that <laughs> recursive chart of like our neural nets bit that build neural nets that build neural nets and, and they didn't make it. And I was like, come on, guys, you got you to gotta do a nod here because it's a little bit scary. I feel, I'm feeling they, a little vertigo. They just
2: want us to think about it. That's all. They want to hint <laughs> at it and let us like let the fear destroy us from the inside. I, I am actually wondering, too, if Google is ever interested in the GPU side of Silicon as well. Like I I look at a company like AMD, which is doing really cool stuff. And I feel like they'd be a really good partner for Google with some of the things they're doing. And they're kind of super efficient graphics processors right now because they're not going for the super high end uh, like NVIDIA has been. Uh, We'll probably see that later. But yeah, I wonder on the hardware end what Google is going to be up to because GPU computing is also going to be a big deal for all sorts of things.
0: Also, I, they, they made uh, mention of a thing I noticed in a Fast Company article by Harry McCracken called TensorFlow Lite which is, mm-hmm. it's interesting that this is sort of what Apple has resorted to, because Apple doesn't have uh, access to your data in the cloud. And so we can't do what Google does. So Apple does all of its machine learning and processing on device. But TensorFlow Lite does that. And the reason that, that Google is building that is because there are lots of examples of things where you want basically instantaneous uh, <laughs> result in UI, and you can't, farm all that out to the cloud and bring it back and so they're also working on this lighter version of this tech for them to run on device which i think is really smart it's funny that this is sort Mm -hmm. of like where apple has had to put all of its effort because it that's just the game it's playing but google ends up there too in addition to the cloud because there are lots of examples where you need to be on device so another you know even your phone is doing machine learning it's not just in the cloud
2: no, most definitely. Microsoft said the same thing about their Story Remix thing. Like that thing is still doing a lot of local computing, uh, but using kind of the same things they're they're building for Azure as well. So yeah, this balance is gonna getting kind of interesting.
1: Yeah, and no, I think there's there's some real technical hurdles there as well because at the moment to get a good machine learning algorithm you actually need tons and tons of data like that's why they're building these custom TPU things because the GPUs that they have at the moment even though they're really beefy just can't go through the volumes of data required and I do wonder a little bit if Apple's painted itself in a corner like I understand the whole privacy thing I think it's great from both a marketing and a customer perspective but I do wonder if five years from now we're gonna be looking back at that and thinking, ooh, that was a huge misstep, Apple. Like because you don't have this volume of data and because you're not willing to process it, you know, on some server somewhere, like is that potentially gonna hold them back from, you know, doing some really cool things?
0: Yeah, the um other thing I wanted to mention just about about machine learning is uh it's hard, right? I think one of the things that that you mentioned on material, Russell, is is um, that you're a developer, but then you talk about machine learning, and you're like, "Uh, sorry, <laughs> it's not, <laughs> not my area." Um, and making that power more accessible to more developers, I think, is really important. I did read, if you saw it, um, that that guy who set up the Lego sorting machine, where yeah. um, he was using he was using machine learning, he had, he learned sort of TensorFlow, or or then he found a library that like connected to TensorFlow, and he said, "This is really hard." but in the end he got a camera to be able to recognize lego pieces just from the screen grabs from the video camera it just took time and he had to do lots and lots of training and it struck me that this is this is an important part of this machine learning thing is getting this power uh, having it be able to be applied by all of the third-party developers so it isn't just happening at google that's part of the challenge here too because it is so complicated right now
1: yeah i sit in quite a few of the sessions they're pushing that really hard the whole concept of at the Moment, it's it's kind of the realm of you know people that have have a PhD and they've studied one particular you know part of let's say neural networking or whatever, and they're able to build these things. And I look at it, I'm like, I wouldn't have a clue like where to even start. It's n- it's nothing like traditional programming. It's more like science. And with TensorFlow Lite and things like, that, I think what Google's hoping is if they can get that into the hands of more people, like they'll be able to do some things with it. I met um, just last night. I met like a, I can call him a kid. He's 18 and like an 18 year old kid. He's, he's still in <laughs> school, and this guy like has built a whole bunch of stuff using like a machine learning and I'm like how long did it take you he's like oh I did some reading and you know a few weeks later I started I'm like what and so you know (laughs) if you can get that level of sophistication and from what he tells me like you know TensorFlow is kind of the industry leader and it's open source and kind of freely available like if you can get that into the hands of developers and they start doing you know things that I as a traditional programmer literally can't do like I can sit here and program for six months and I wouldn't be able to make like a really good algorithm that tell you like this is a cat. But some, you know, 18-year-old kid in his, in his backyard with a whole bunch of like cat pictures, <laughs> within a week, he can have a, like a really good machine learning algorithm that's like, you know what, with 99.995% accuracy, I can tell you if, you know, even that picture of a leg that's cut off by a wall is a cat or not. But <laughs> well, where will he find pictures of cats? They're very hard to find. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That will be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably a bad example, really. I mean, they're not available anywhere. No.
0: No, they're highly, highly sought after on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a little bit more Google I.O. to ask you about, but uh, let me take a little bit of a break to just remind people where you can find us on the internet. Relay.fm slash download is where you can find all of our episodes. Of course, just search for download in your favorite podcast app. I know it's a very common word, and yet we are one of the few podcasts with that name. So you will find us. You can tweet at us at underscore downloadfm. And if you've got story suggestions for us during the week that you think might be good stories for us to talk about, just send a tweet with the hashtag download stories. Now, before we get back to talking a little bit more about Google, I wanted to do what I do every week, which is tell you about a story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar, but might be worth mentioning briefly here. And I'm sorry, this isn't quite a tech story, but I'm going to nerd out for a moment and just point out to those who haven't seen it. The first trailer for the new Star Trek show, Star Trek Discovery, came out this week. And I thought it looked pretty awesome, although I've definitely heard mixed reviews online. It's the internet. Nerds are going to be angry it just happens doesn't matter what it is people are going to be angry some people are going to love it it's fine i'm excited because i'm a star trek fan from way back uh it looks like a very interesting cast uh we didn't even see all the kind of interesting cast members they've announced for it and it's a modern take on star trek in a way that you know we haven't had a star trek show on the air for more than a decade i think it's coming up like 15 years since we had a, a star trek show maybe it's 10 years it's it's been a while um and also, I should, I guess, mention that there was also a trailer for a show called The Orville, which is essentially Galaxy Quest, the TV series starring <laughs> Seth, Seth MacFarlane. That's going to be on Fox this fall. So, if you it depends on, do you like your space exploration a little more serious or a little more zany? Uh, there there will be a show for you this fall. So check out the trailers for space shows because you might have missed it. Android O got announced. I actually have it on my on my Android phone right now. I, I signed up for the for the beta. Uh, and I'm talking about notifications, it's got more exciting dots for notifications. Um, Russell, what you have any thoughts about what we know about Android O and what what it offers us, or do we not know very much yet?
1: Uh, it depends on whether the us you're talking about is is developers or sort of end users. I assume you mean more from the customer sort of point of view. One one kind of feature that bridges both um, sort of And it's probably not that well known is Android always the first release of Android that has proper color management built in. And it's actually better color management than even iOS has. It's like higher precision. It's it's yeah, I won't get into the technical details about, you know, 16 bit floats and all that sort of stuff to to store your your integers. But um, the idea is that I've never, this Android hasn't had this before. And if they can get this right, and it seems like by all accounts, you know, they have an Android O that you're going to get some really nice looking, you know, pictures that you take and various other things, UI elements, you know, videos uh, on Android that previously, you know, you wouldn't have gotten. Android has been famous in the past for, you know, overblown, you know, the, you know, screens and things like that, you know, things with crazy saturation levels. But if, if this ends up being, you know, what Google's promised in Android, that could be really interesting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The color management thing, Apple's been pushing the last couple of years, and and it's been, uh, my friend Craig Hockenberry has written a book about it, right? And and it was very, he was very excited to see that on the Android side that Google is really getting the the color management stuff together. Do you any any, um, did you learn anything about Android O oh, that was interesting? It's funny, Google does I O, and nobody's really talking about the next generation of Android. They're talking about all this other stuff instead. <laughs>
2: I think because it's they just haven't really given us like the really fancy consumer stuff yet, like the stuff to really get excited about. I am actually interested in that color management thing just because I want to see how mobile devices and tablets and stuff are going to prepare for HDR and HDR screens. I think there are some phones that support it right now. Uh, but I do a lot of home theater tech, so I want to see that like trickle down to other displays. And that makes a huge difference on 4K TVs. Um but as for other things, I mean, those notification dots are really cool. Um, <laughs> dots? Android Go, I think, is very nice. And Android Go, I am a big fan of seeing how. Software kind of works on lower-end devices, and uh, like just I'm just as excited by the like cheapest, most underpowered device that manages to run mm-hmm. a full OS as I am by like the most powerful phone on the market. And I think Android Go, um, even though it's targeted low-end devices, but you talk to the you talk about these specs a couple of years ago. You know, it's for phones with less than a gigabyte of RAM. Um, it wasn't too long ago that that's pretty much most of our phones, right? Uh, but I, I think that could really mean good things for cheaper phones down the line.
0: Yeah, Russell, you and Andy talked about Android Go a little bit on material, and I, I um, I like the idea that there uh, there are assumptions that tech companies make about mm-hmm. phone hardware, yeah, about con- your con- connection speed or your ability to transfer a lot of data without getting charged for it. And Android Go is really interesting because it, 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 it's a continuation of Google's kind of philosophy in this area where they've communicated about it, but taking to, to another level of sort of like, what let's not make those assumptions. Let's assume a, uh, a cheaper phone with a less, less memory and less power and maybe an intermittent connection or a very slow connection or a connection where we need to watch our data and build build a, a, an OS for that market. I think, it's, uh, I think it's cool because it's so easy. I see products all the time that I realize... Were designed by somebody who's in Silicon Valley with a really fast internet connection. (laughs) and the latest and greatest hardware and I think hmm I don't think this is going to work outside of the Bay Area <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, I see that all the time living in Australia where we have absolutely terrible internet and you know population density is a lot more spread out and I see some ideas I'm like yeah, no that's, that's never going to work um, the really interesting thing about Android Go is I don't know if either of you remember Android One you know Google announced that a few years mm-hmm. back and this was a yep. very similar initiative that didn't go too far you know they got a few partners on board and it seemed like it was going to go somewhere and then all of a sudden it just disappeared and now it's been sort of rebranded I guess Android Go um, I, I can see what they're trying to do you know they're trying to push into the developing market and they've been pushing this for years like they have a real focus on you know okay what happens if if you know the internet connection is slow how do you degrade gracefully they've been pushing developers for a while now to get all our um, APKs so the, the apps that are installed on your phone under 10 megabytes which is you know, for those of you familiar with the bloat that some apps have gone through, like Facebook is 250 megabytes on iOS or something like that. It's probably very similar on Android, but Google is pushing that really hard. They're like, no, 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 no. Your apps must be under 10 megabytes. You must be doing this. You must degrade gracefully. Um, and they've been changing a lot of their backend services. Like, you know, things like even like Google Search or like, you know, AMP and various other things that they're all designed for this whole idea of uh, you're going to have a really cheap phone and it's going to be on a not great connection, but you're still going to be able to do stuff with it. And I think if that works, I think that's really cool. Like, you know, because at, technology can sometimes be a little elitist. And I, I say this as someone who buys a new phone almost every month. Like, that, that's how bad it is. But, but sometimes, like, you think that's the world of technology, but it's not. Yeah. Like, some people buy like a three year old phone and they have that for another three years. So.
0: Well, not to mention how transformative in some places uh, the, uh, having a smartphone is because it is the it is the computer and it's the connection to the mm-hmm. rest of the world. Yes, and, definitely. And that, that's that's how smartphones are changing the world the most, I would argue, and it's not at the high end. It's it's at, at um, in markets that are being underserved and perhaps with technology that isn't really built for them.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the other interesting thing is, this does seem both you know good business sense if you can get into places like India, if you can get into Indonesia if you can get into some parts of china that 's good business you know if google 's involved in that then they they get you know revenue from that, but it does feel like from the inside of the company they, they generally they genuinely care about you know getting these low cost devices into those markets as well, not just so they can make money although i 'm sure they 're really happy about that but they're really, you know, big on the whole education and, you know, improving, I guess, the the human race as a whole, even though that sounds like some Silicon Valley term, like improving the human race through, you know, connectivity and access to information.
2: It's weird that when Google talks about that stuff, I kind of believe it more than I do when Facebook does. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's very strange. <laughs> well,
0: I think when 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 your credo to get back to that is organizing the world's information, I do think there is something at the core of Google that that is uh, – like audacious about like no we said the world right that 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 it's not about making a you know a a boutique set of uh devices and operating systems that will serve the the you know the most developed markets it's it's about the world and that you that you've got to extend that to actually mean the world and and i do believe that they believe that one more topic before we go uh, that I wanted to at least touch on. That's not Google related, but it's really interesting to me, the ransomware story that has happened in the last week where there were all of these older computers, uh, most notably in the UK that were hit by WannaCry or WannaCrypt. to uh, Mostly windows XP machines is my understanding, which Microsoft st- stopped supporting for most users a little while ago. I love that. There's a little side note, a security researcher who's looking at the code kind of accidentally stopped the, attack by registering a domain name. <laughs> Thank you, Hover, for sponsoring our show, by the way. Registering domain names, sometimes it saves everybody. Uh, <laughs> the, the part that fascinates me is, is old software. And, you know, Russell, you're a software developer. You 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 presumably have at least thought about this, although at least, you know, your Android and iOS apps update in place. But, like, Microsoft got a lot of blame because of Windows XP having a vulnerability, and yet it is so old, and, and they said, no, really, don't use it anymore. And yet, the National <laughs> Health Service was still using it. It's like, what do we do about old software with vulnerabilities? This, this is uh, the Internet of Things. When, when we see botnets out of IoT devices, it's so often some two-year-old piece of hardware that has a vulnerability, and the 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 maker of it it's just moved on and they don't care about it anymore do software developers have to be liable for supporting software forever What is there a way out of this I'm just curious what you guys think because it's such a strange story <laughs> to have a weird vector like this and Microsoft be like you, do you want us to patch XP again which they did by the way which boy I would yep. love to be that person yeah, who has that, that job right? dust off the old code everybody <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, calling someone back who's been retired for 10 years You remember that stuff you wrote in the low level like thing in XP yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. need you to come back. The
0: COBOL programmers, come back. Y2K <laughs> is happening. Please come back. I know you're retired.
2: Please come back. <laughs> Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. <laughs> um, For one last job. <laughs> it is funny. Um, I think the really interesting thing here, too, is Microsoft had a very long blog post actually pointing fingers at the NSA and kind of what the NSA is doing, right? Because uh, partially this came from uh you know uh, uh, an exploit that it had developed and which had leaked yeah. out and that's that's a bigger and more dangerous thing it reminds me of stuxnet and kind of how that ended up, you know, going everywhere and wreaking havoc on the worldwide, you know, all over the place, actually. Um, I think that's a big thing. And I used to work in IT as well. So I know how easy it is for organizations just to like stick with what's easy and not really upgrade their systems because it's too much effort to kind of do a whole system wide, you know, upgrade from XP to something else. Um, most IT organizations wait like several versions of Windows before they do a big upgrade. Uh, but yeah, it, it seems like everyone, is a bit responsible here right and i think the especially the it organizations and the companies that spent the weekend and didn't actually fix it that's the that's the most infuriating (laughs) thing to me like the people who came to work on monday was like guys you had you had a warning you had all this news like there there's no reason not to at least to apply the patch and that's yeah there's a lot of blame to go around basically
1: yeah, and I think as a software developer, like, uh, we think about this a lot, and I'm sure in bigger companies, they think about this even more. And I think we, we kind of have a partial solution for it, especially in the IoT world where, I don't know if you've seen something like the the Google Wi-Fi system. So again, another Google thing. But you take it home; these little cylinder things. Right. And basically, there's there's no way to say don't update yourself. This thing just updates itself like whenever it wants to, whatever version like Google pushes. And that's a partial solution only because one day the company that gave you those like could just go out of business. Like, or they could stop supporting it. They'd be like, "Yeah, we don't support that anymore." And as a consumer, it is really weird to go, "Oh, well, this is not supported by Google. So in the bin it goes." I'm just going to go buy a new Wi-Fi system. Like that's not. That's not the way people think, and that's not the way they should think either. So that's, I think that's the really hard part of the problem to solve is it's good if the device updates itself because then there's no manual step for the user to be like, yeah, update, okay, yep, update again, yep, okay, update again. Like that is really annoying. If it can do that by itself, you know, great. But then there's the other part of it is, how long should the company have to support a product for? Like if they decide, you know what, we don't want to make Wi-Fi systems anymore, how long do they have to keep the software updates going?
2: Yeah. And most IT organizations will never want to deal with the self-updating thing. Exactly. You know, like that that's a consumer level thing. That's something individuals will deal with. But the bigger problem here is widespread organizations, right? The 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 NS uh, NHS and everyone, like not It's like doing the basic security work that they should be doing. And I don't know what we do to stop that. Like, I I would say, like, it would be nice if, you know, we had some sort of like, I don't know, governmental push to be like, hey, guys, like, you know, update your software. It's the law, except it's really in the best interest of organizations like the, the NSA to have those unpatched systems around when they need it the uh story about
0: i saw a lot of people saying i can't believe they were running windows xp how hard is it to update and it's like i I worked in a publishing environment for a lot of years and and it's like how hard is it well i'll tell you what probably is the case is there's some piece of software that is key to the development of the nhs that only runs on xp and they can't upgrade it or they or it would cost them a huge amount of money and somebody decided it was easier to not update it and stay on xp now it is that that decision maker's fault to a certain degree but it's like this complex web of stuff and it becomes suddenly it's not just how hard is it to update to a new version of Windows it's now this is going to cost us more than we have in our budget and so we just won't and this Mm -hmm. is the result. And that that requires some education about like just putting computer systems in is not the end of the spending that you have to do. And that's probably misleading from the sales perspective of the people who are selling you the technology and it's misunderstandings by the people who are buying the technology. But I don't know. I mean, it's not a great solution to have your stuff just just turned off when it expires either. So Mm -hmm. um, I kind of like that Mm -hmm. idea of like, we have banned Windows XP.
2: It is no longer allowed. (laughs) Upgrades are mandatory and there there should probably be different rules for critical systems right like the the nhs come on right
0: well i mean there are people who did this was not just like the accounting if you haven't heard the whole story for people who are listening this isn't just like the accounting group couldn't get you in or they don't know if you had an appointment like literally surgeries were being canceled with people already ready to be rolled in because they couldn't see the x-rays they couldn't get patient records there this was all the way down to to the operating room that got yeah. ambulances
2: were it. being redirected too. I think like it's <sighs> wow. it's a mess. It put lives in danger, and all because at the at the end of the day, they just didn't upgrade from XP. Yeah,
0: because somebody wasn't wasn't realizing that they couldn't get away with saving money or not spending money that maybe they didn't have to do all the updates they needed to do. They thought they could just let it ride, and I think that's maybe that's the the real lesson here is that um, software is kind of like fruit. Um, it goes bad. (laughs) It goes bad. It's got, it's got like a use by date. And beyond that, you can't just let it sit there because in our modern interconnected era, it will, uh, it will, it will break or, or somebody will do something bad to you with it. Yeah.
2: It'll poison you.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's gone bad. It's like milk in the fridge. Like you got to smell it first. I don't know. That was weird, but anyway. So, software's like fruit. I've 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 trademarked that now. Nobody's nobody sealed that for me. Um, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, I, I, before we go, I want to remind people what to look out for in the week ahead. Great news, everybody. There's no major tech developer conference next week, so we get a little bit yeah. of break before Apple comes in a, in a few weeks. Uh, also, uh, just a, a, a media note: Donald Trump will be traveling to Europe in the Middle East next week. So, all of those awkward news stories will be dropping a little bit earlier in the day than they've been the last few weeks. So set your calendar accordingly. And for Russell, that means all the weird news stories will happen late in the day in Australia
1: instead of early. So. Ooh, but I'm actually in your country at the moment, okay. so I can only well, say good things about your I'm, president, I'm afraid. I'm glad you got because, here. Uh, Welcome. I'm on a very temporary visa, so don't don't, don't <laughs> spoil right. this for me, Jason. Oh, well,
0: Xnay on the ump tray. Okay, got it. <laughs> uh, that brings us to the end of this edition of Download. I want to thank my
1: guests. Russell, uh, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, they can find me at Rusty Shelf on Twitter Is probably the best place to go and if I've done the right thing there's probably links to other things and if there's not you can see pictures of my food and stuff right,
0: relay.fm slash material of, of course
1: of course I keep forgetting that one uh, yeah Andy's going to kill me relay.fm slash material
0: yeah uh, I miss Yasmin but she, was, uh, she cameoed it was good this is great yeah uh Devendra, where can people find the stuff that you do
2: oh i'm at Devendra on twitter i write about tech and gadget and uh, i also do a film and movie podcast at slash film.com
0: i am amazed that we haven't been on a podcast together before given our interest in Seriously. tech and culture but yeah. i i hope this will not be the last time i would love to talk to you again about film and about tech in the future so i hope you come back most definitely um and also thanks to the power behind the throne mr stephen hackett my producer pay no attention to the producer behind the curtain (laughs) and thanks to everybody out there for listening to download this week until next week we'll keep watching the headlines so you don't have to bye everybody